0: Hello and welcome to Cumber Baptist Church Podcast. The following is taken from our morning service, Sunday 11th of August, 2019. This morning we are joined by Henry Capper, who takes his reading from James chapter 1, verses 19 to 21, and brings us a message entitled, How to Obey God's Word. If you have a copy of God's Word, to open it to James, James chapter 1, if you have been with us over the last number of months and any time I've been speaking, opening God's word, we've been looking at, at James and we're coming towards the conclusion of, of James Chapter one. Going to look at James Chapter one, just three verses, nineteen twenty one. This evening, if you're looking a break from James, your your prayer has been answered, and we'll be looking at uh, the Acts of the Apostle chapter sixteen as the gospel enters into europe so we're in james this morning we'll be looking at acts this evening acts chapter 16 just a few verses from james chapter 1 though there are few this is still the infallible word of god and this is god who speaks james chapter 1 starting to read at verse 19 and going down to verse 21 May God bless his public reading of his holy word. I say it's a fairly straightforward statement that you would all agree with, but every uh, every seasoned, every reasonable Christian will always want to be faithful to the Bible. I think we could all agree with that. Someone who has been a Christian for many, many years will have some adherence, some reverence to, to the Word of God, to, to this book that we have, have just read from. A genuine follower of, of Jesus will, will surely give it respect. There will be special attention that will be, be given to it. Whatever that plays out in each individual's life may be different. Once we come to a place like this, as we corporately come as a a local church, we we read from from God's Word. There's special attention given to to God's Word. It's it's really the focal point. It's why we we spend more time reading and considering the Bible in 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 a service like this than we do praying or than we do singing songs as great, as important as they are. For, for that person, and I hope this is for all of us uh, this morning, there, there is a realisation that, that this, this, this book, is, it's not just a, a book. It's not a book like other books, but there's something unique. There's something distinct about it. It's distinct and it's unique because, because it's God's book. God's book. The words contained with it are the actual inspired words of the God of heaven. It's the best-selling book. It is the book of all books. It is the one that most people have heard about. And it is the only worldwide book. Though I wonder, have you thought about this? What if we didn't have God's book. I wonder if we didn't have His Word. I wonder how, how our lives would be impacted. I wonder how your life would be impacted. I wonder would there be any impact at all if you didn't have the Word of God. Many people right across this world would love, would cherish so much for an opportunity like this. For the privilege to have God's Word in, 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 its, in a full text, in a, in a book. I'm sure many of you, like me, have maybe numerous Bibles at home. I wonder what impact would be made on your life if you didn't have a Bible. Nevertheless, the, the question arises, well, so what? What do we do with God's Word? How are we to respond to it? What are we to do with God's word? How do we take the words on the page and how do we allow them to shape our lives? Or we could put it this way. How, how do we obey God's word? How do we obey God's words? Let me, let me ask this question. What is, what is maybe the, the particular format the particular structure that, that comes to your mind when posed with that question. How do we obey God's word? How do, how do we as, as individuals and as a church arrive at a point in our lives that says that we, we trust this book and we want it to mold our lives and that is the focus of our time this morning. And that is the question that we get implicitly and the answer that we we get explicitly from James the Apostle, the writer here in this New Testament letter. He helpfully answers that question, how do we obey God's word? And the first thing he wants to say is in verse 19, where we'll spend probably most of our time this morning. Let me read verse 19 again. These are very well known, well known words. We we hear them quoted inside the church. I've heard them quoted outside of ch- ch- uh, uh, Christian gatherings. I've heard them quoted by not even Christians themselves. Or that they're that famous. And let's read verse nineteen. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. James gives instructions on accepting the word accepting the word this is the context in which he is speaking to he is speaking to christians as they are meeting for for corporate gatherings just like this and this is the advice that he gives them in regards to hearing god's word James, as as the good pastor that he is, he would have known many of these people who he is writing to. As another uh, uh, ounce of context with this, these are scattered Christians, Christians who have came from Judaism. They're now infant, baby Christians. Uh, Life has not been straightforward. They have been scattered out of the homelands, out of Israel, maybe a lot of them would have been Jerusalem where James was the pastor there and now they're in unknown territory and they're suffering they're being they're being persecuted life is is difficult and James this is what he wants to say to these scattered church congregants that to accept the word here is the instruction and this is what he has to say and just even note that the pastoral warmth that that precedes these instructions he calls them beloved brothers these are these are his these are his people these are people that he is concerned about he cares for them James is the under shepherd of the flock and their best interests are his greatest concern and he wants them to know this, the way to efficiently hear the Word of God, and it is this. And it's these three instructions, these three actions, and they are quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. This is the recipe to hear the Word of God. Yes, as I've maybe already alluded to earlier, the, certainly these are helpful attributes for a person to live a wholesome and good life maybe you've heard people talk about this verse in in that kind of way it's promoted in that sense some sort of three-step moralistic edification program you'll be a better person if you you're quick to hear if, if you slow to speak and you're slow to anger and certainly as, as Christians, we wanna, we wanna promote a, a good, holy ethic, and that's, these are certainly good things to be incorporated, implemented into our lives. Yes, there's many, there's a whole host of rea- range in how these can impact our lives. We could, we could, they, they will be relevant in so many other areas of our lives. We think about relationships. We think about how we communicate ourselves. Yes, they're, they're very helpful. But that is, that is not James. As, as the author, the one who is writing this, that is not his primary concern. His central focus is that if a person would incorporate these three actions, they open themselves up to hearing the Word of God more effectively and more efficiently. We've already said it, but we, we must repeat what James puts forward are actions. It's something that we, as as individuals, that we we must not do, that we must do, as we come under the word of God. And before and the temptation is always is that we hear something like this and we naturally think about somebody else. We think of maybe that friend, that family member, maybe somebody even in this in this room. Let me challenge you. Let, let's think about ourselves first and foremost. When we hear God's word, that's what we do. We hear it. More than that, James exhorts these Christians and ourselves to be quick to hear it. There, there should be an urge, a desire to first and foremost listen to God's word. Simply because it's God's word. And I could sit down case closed at that. That is good enough. But more than that, we, we want to elaborate on that, that God's word is truth and that His word is good and it's for our good. It's for your good. We have the revelation of scripture for our very benefit. When we read or listen to the words in this book, we are, we are reading, we are listening to the very words of God. That is our, our starting block. That we, we listen. That we listen. Second he wants to say. Is that we were slow to speak. That's the next principle. The next instruction. James is basically saying to these Christians. Think before you speak. I've heard that before. I'm sure you've had it quoted you. Or you've quoted it to somebody else. It's a popular saying. That's what James is saying. Think before you speak. When it comes to to the word of God an individual should first listen to the word allow it to speak for itself and then respond after thinking it through there shouldn't be a rush a knee-jerk reaction to to give your opinion to respond hastily without thought We shouldn't rush to give our opinion really, really quickly, to give our divine inspired perspective. We hear God's word. We meditate over it. Because when we mull over it, when we soak in its goodness, when we concentrate on its beauty, then we will glean so much more if our temperament is to come to the Word of God with with a sense of impatience, then we miss out on so much. If we read the Bible as some sort of life advice book, and we turn its pages just to find an answer to the current predicament that you face in your life, then we miss out on so much. James tells them to be, slow to speak and the third and final instruction that james gives in verse 19 is is to be slow to anger and initially that might sound a little bit strange a little bit off to our ears but when we really start to think about it it makes perfect sense why james would actually include this here james knows full well that when God's word is, is presented, it's spoken, it, it can provide, pres- uh, produce a whole range of responses. I'm sure you, you know that. You've had that experience, I hope you have, where the, you've been in a situation where someone has responded well to God's word. They've responded positively to it. Maybe you've shared with them the gospel. But equally, you've maybe had the opposite experience where... God's word's been shared and people have been offended and more than that they have got angry and people can get angry at the word of God people can be offended at what the word of God says and I don't need to tell you that you know that fine fine well naturally we are just not inclined to the idea that we are sinners And that we are in need of something. People want to think of themselves as as good, as honest. They want to think of themselves as as self-sufficient, independent, autonomous individuals. Not needing anything else. I don't need God. That's fine. I can live my life. I'm not that bad. I'm not like every other person in the world. And then that person hears the, the Christian gospel which calls all of humanity to repent. To say that they're a, 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 a filthy, sin-ridden, hell-bound individual. And they are, they are insulted. They are sick to their stomach hearing these words. And rage builds with, within them. And they are angry at what God's word has to say. How dare God Say that to me. How dare he call me a sinner? Does he know my life? I'm a good person. That is the response I'm sure many of us have experienced with others. Maybe that was your response at one point in your life. You were angry. You did no time for the word of God until God and his grace opened your eyes and re- revealed to you that you were a sinner. But more than that, he has love never ending for you. For the Christians specifically, and we should we should never contend in an angry spirit. An angry spirit is it's just very simply not a teachable spirit. If you come to a worship service like this enraged, the likelihood of you listening well to a sermon is slim. If a godly friend comes to you and points out your sin, you're never going to respond with gratitude. But you'll cross your eyes and let your anger continue to build. If we allow anger to control our lives, simply put, we will not grow in Christ likeness. We will be stagnant and the probable reality is that we will regress. Proverbs 16, chapter 32 says this, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Whoever is slow to anger is better than those who are powerful. And as we, as we look at these, these three instructions and we, we clump them together, together, in my meditations as we, as I look to them, I, I think of these three instructions as, as three instructions that combine beautifully to paint the picture of the gospel. When we, when we think of, of the gospel, the good news of, of Jesus Christ, well, who is the one who offers this good news to us? It's not ourselves, it's God. He's the, the starting block. He is the one who, who designs this news. He is the one who has created this redemptive plan. He is the one in light of Adam's sin in Genesis, that in, in Genesis 3, responding to Satan, that he, he, he initiates a, a plan That the the coming of Jesus is right back there in the garden. He's the the one who creates this. He's the one who who speaks it out. He is the one who, who uses words to tell of this news. He would use us. He would use his word to tell of this news. And he is the one that carries it out. He is the one that even though right back in the garden would create that a plan was devised that would culminate that not that we would live our lives and try to earn a performance to impress God but he would send the standard and the standard would only be himself he would send Jesus Jesus would would come in in meekness that we'll think about in a moment's time he would come in humility he would leave the splendor of glory Jesus would come and dwell with the creation the ones that he was part of creating and jesus would live that that perfect life the life that you and i just could not live in a month of sundays we could never live that life but yet jesus would die as a criminal as one who had committed the most heinous uh, crime yet he had not And he did that for you and he has done that for me and he has done that in accordance to the will of the Father. But praise God and it's why we are seated seated here today that Jesus did not remain dead. Jesus rose victoriously three days later. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father right now. And that is that is the good news. So what is what is our part in all of us? What is what do we do once we hear this? We are called the first and foremost to hear it. We are to hear God's word. If it wasn't for God informing us of first of our sin and that there is a Savior, then we would still be hopelessly lost. Trapped in our sin, and we would be on a one-way journey to hell. But at the same time, we need to understand this as well we are not robots we are not we are called to respond and we should respond positively we should not we should be slow to anger don't be offended at the good news receive it gladly think much about the gospel we shouldn't jump out with thoughtless reactions to god's word but we should think about it and i should really really think about it meditate over it and then respond And I'll add add a caveat. Certainly, I don't want people misunderstanding this. God can save people in an instance. People can hear the word of God for the very first time and immediately know it's true. And we praise God for that. Little to no prior knowledge, and they come to saving faith in Jesus. But the life of of a disciple, a a follower of Jesus, is one that that should not be rushed with knee-jerk reactions and it shouldn't, we shouldn't live lives where our voice silences God's. We see that quite clearly in the life of, of, of Peter. Peter was always the one who, 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 would, who would be with Jesus and he'd be the first one to speak. Often that would be courageously, but sometimes it would be out of plain and utter stupidity. Not thinking through what he was about to say or what he was about to do. But when we look at the the life of Jesus, I wonder if you've ever had this thought as we think of, of Jesus' life. We see time and time again moments where Jesus doesn't even say a word. Not even one word. And then we have other times where Jesus maybe just says a couple of words. And we maybe read and we're like, why does he not say more? Why does he not say anything at all? Let me ask you a couple of questions. Firstly, um, to you this morning, if if you're you're not yet a Christian, have you respond? Why have you not responded to God's word yet? What is holding you back from accepting the truth of the good news of Jesus? What is the barrier? We're going to come to the barriers in a moment. What is holding you back? You know deep down that you haven't responded for the the first time in saving faith. Would you do that this morning as you hear God's word? Not a mistake that you're here this morning. God has put you in this building to hear His word. But for most of us here who who know and love the Lord, how do you conduct yourself inside and outside of the church? Are you known for always being the one dominating conversations, always getting your your voice heard, always sharing your your opinion? And you know deep down there's 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 a, there's something within the pit of you that just always wants to share your opinion. Is that you? The life of a follower of Jesus, it's one of selfless humility. And we can live with freedom that knowing that we don 't need to be the center stage, but that we should be concerned with ultimately with what God has to say, but also what others have to say, so let me offer some piece of advice as we sort of put some some flesh onto this let me uh, let me challenge you to do three things: I want you to ask someone close to you if you are that person, maybe you don 't even know if you if 're the one dominating the one that always has to speak you don 't even realize it. Ask someone close to you if you're that person. And hopefully they'll be honest with you. The next time you have a, have, a, have a deep conversation with someone, let them lead the conversation. Don't let you, do you know what I mean, take the bull by the horn and, and lead the conversation. But let someone else lead it. Let them lead conversation and you, you follow on. And finally, pray that the Holy Spirit would work and mold and shape us and shape you into a better reflection, a better reflection of Jesus. Let's look at what what James has to say in the next couple of minutes in verses uh, twenty and twenty-one. Let's read verses. Uh, let's read verses nineteen and twenty again to get uh, what he's saying here. Know this, my beloved brothers: let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Verse twenty: for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And this is the reason for accepting the word that James has to say. It's the reason for accepting the word. The anger contained within our hearts, which is our own personal rejection of God. It's what separates us from God. Nothing that we can do, nothing that we can earn, nothing that we can conjure up will attain or earn righteousness. However great our performance is this side of eternity, it's just it's filthy rags. Doesn't add up. But verse verse twenty implies that there is a wholesome and that there is a a holy and a good anger. There is a pure and righteous anger and it resides within God. It comes from God. We don't really like to talk about it. I'm sure you're the same as me. We don't really like to talk about the anger and wrath of God. You see a lot of Christians, churches that are trying to move away from this. Yes, we'll talk about love of God, the Father's heart for people, and all good stuff in his grace. But then, yeah, there's just maybe a little add-on, might just slip it in. We don't like to think about that. People, could, again, going back to where thinking about, could get offended, that I thought God was love, why, why would he be angry, why would he have wrath? It can make us feel Uncomfortable. Well, let me present you to this. You could easily argue that if it was not for the anger of God, there would be no gospel. If there there wasn't for the anger, the wrath of God, there would be no gospel, no good news. We sing about this all the time. second verse of in Christ alone. Till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid here in the death of Christ I live. For the, the wrath of God was satisfied. It's interesting that uh, in, in, in John Piper's book, uh, 50 Reasons Why Jesus Came to Die, which is quite a small book. It's a great book. I'd really encourage you to, to pick that up. He gives 50 reasons, not just restrained, the 50 reasons of why Jesus came to earth to die And the very, very first one he has in his book is this. Jesus came to absorb the wrath of God. Think of all the others, the 49 he could have started with, and he decides to start with that very one. Jesus came to absorb the wrath of God. Because on the cross, Jesus took on all our sin. He bore the just wrath of God. And this should teach us two things quite quickly should tell us that sin is not a small matter. Sin is not just sort of our our personality traits. It's not just sort of behavioral quirks that we have or just maybe bad, unhelpful habits. Sin is serious business. Second thing is that we should be left in awe at God's love that in light of our sin and the seriousness of it, that it would drive Jesus to a cross, that God would send the very best to deal with our, our worst. He would send himself. Jesus would die on the cross for ourselves. And our final point is verse 21, and it's the command to accept the word. Let's read verse 21. And this is, really the application, the crux of what James has to say. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And the command that James presents is twofold and it's a negative and a positive. Again, remember the context of what James is writing to. It's how to effectively read and to obey the word of God. So to hear the word of God well demands that our lives are divorced of filthiness and rampant wickedness. Sin. He's talking about sin. He could have said sin. He doesn't say sin. But the graphic language that he uses here. The filthiness and rampant wickedness. Do you think of sin like that? Do you think of sin in those terms? Do you think of it as as, as that? So what James thinks of it. It's not just bad habits. But this is the graphic language that reveals the ugliness of sin. It's, it's, it's intolerable for a holy God. It drove Jesus to a criminal's cross. It was that serious that it needed the death of God's son to deal with it. So when we, we come to hear God's word or to, to read it privately or maybe in a small group environment, we, we need to be checking our lives reflecting have we rid ourselves of sin have we repented daily of our shortcomings because the simple application is if if we have not then we're not going to hear well furthermore we might get to a point where we will not even want to hear If we let sin linger in our lives, we will be drawn away from the truth of God's word. So it is by grace that you're here this morning. We will not be excited to read it. We will not be thrilled to come to worship on a Sunday, to hear God's word spoke. But we will start to make excuses. Attendance at church gatherings will decrease. And then we'll ultimately come to a halt. I've known so many people in my 27 years on this this earth of people who made a profession of faith and then over a number of years have walked away from it, really making that initial profession invalid. And the process of, of of a person walking away from Christianity always begins with them refusing to repent of sin. I have countless people and names running through my head as I even say this. And it always plays itself out in removing themselves from the presence of other Christians. It, 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 it makes them stop coming to places like this and then they remove themselves from hearing God's word. However, the negative command that James offers leads straight in to the positive. And this is the crux of what James wants his readers to grasp. And if they could do just this one thing, and if we could do this one thing, and things will be much, much better in our lives. And he commands them to receive the implanted word with, with meekness. Why? Because it has the power to save your soul. So a couple of things as we conclude our time together. The implanted word. What, is, what does that mean? The word sowed in our hearts' lives is not by our initiative God is the one that writes his law on our hearts. It's God who starts. It's God who who inclines his ear. It's God who picks us up out of the pit. It's put there by God. The word of God is put into our hearts and our minds by God, not by ourselves. Yet at the same time, and we need to see the, the complexity of this, is that we have to receive it. How do we receive? What does James say? Well, he says in this this part of the, of scripture that we do it through meekness. We are called to be meek, which has the idea idea of really to be to submit our lives under the authority of God's word. And once we we have that combination, there's a potential, there's the possibility for souls to be saved, souls to be drawn to heaven. That guilty law-breaking sinners could have forgiveness. And that's, that's the power of God's Word. That God's Word is, is that unrelenting. And we have those, those very words before us. The book that we carry, the app that we might have on our phone contains the very words of God. Words that save, have the potential to save souls. To take people away from a destiny outside of God's presence and love in hell and take them into the kingdom of light. Surely that should stimulate, surely that should motivate our hearts as we think about these these words, God's words, and their relevance to our lives and the potential that they have, the potential to save souls. So James As the good pastor that he is, wants his his scattered congregation to to humbly accept the good news of God's word. He wants them to have open hearts and listening ears as they come under the sound of God's word. The pastoral desire of James is not confined to these particular Christians, but has relevance to the church of Jesus Christ to this very day, which includes you and I. As you accept the word of God, your soul experiences the depths and the glory of of salvation. I hope that thrills your soul. We should not be a people who underestimate the power of God's word. Let me conclude and finish our time with this challenge. Do you long to receive the word? If you do, that is the grace of God active in your life and you should cherish that forever however if it is not then god's word through the apostle james is this commands to to get rid of the filth the evil and the worldliness the buyers that may be consciously in front of you or subconsciously in front of you that is drawing your heart and affections away from the word that can save you and that maybe has saved you away from the god that loves you but as christians we should run to the god of the word run to the god who has new mercies for us each morning we should be people who run and be encouraged to hear to listen to the god who saves souls through his word amen we know that we pray that god will bless his his reading to his people in this place this morning.